everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Felix and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm here again with my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. I usually would say, hey, we made it through the clay court season, but all we do is talk about it. We didn't have to play and put in all those hours physically uh, with all that maximum. Yeah, effort. but we, we put forth emotional energy. We put forth emotional energy, correct, but the physical energy that is required <laughs> through this grueling part of the season. Uh, kudos to all the players that made it through. And we have our 2023 French Open champions and the all-time world record holder now of slams, Novak Djokovic. And on the women's side, who is just continuing to be at, play at the top of her game and play the top of the women's game, Iga Sviatek. Kudos to both. We're going to get into details, but Steve, first thoughts on both. Well, I mean, it, 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 I think most people, the odds makers were pushing it. There was a there was a sort of a prevailing view that Carlos, because he'd had such a great clay court circuit, because Alcaraz had won the U.S. Open last year, building toward this one, that it was might be his tournament. And because Novak Djokovic had not played well on the clay after opening the year so brilliantly in Australia, winning his 10th Australian Open. So that there, were, there was so much anticipation for their semifinal, obviously. But in the end, Novak survived that. We can talk in more detail about exactly what happened on that semifinal day. But he was the much fitter of the two players in the end. And, and, and he, got, he got through it and then, of course, won the final so convincingly. So great victory for him and Sviantec. I mean, started in 2020. She's won three of the last four now in Roland Garros, and not to mention the U.S. Open last year. So she's starting to really uh, find her niche in this game. And, and she's won her first four major finals, which is remarkable. Puts her in very elite company. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a very uh, gratifying tournament in many ways, I think, for the fans. Yes, uh, I would agree with that. Let's start with that men's semifinal day on Friday morning in the States, because when the draw first came out, everyone saw the potential of the first semi of that day was Novak and Carlos. And then the second semi of that day was Rude versus Verov. I mean, both of those could have been extremely physical, extremely long matches. Um, as a tennis fan, before first ball hit on that Friday, you were salivating at both those matches, the potential of them being both so, so good. Um, we all know what occurred. Carlos played Novak. The first two sets kind of played out how tennis fans all wanted it to be. Some magnificent tennis in there. I know, Steve, I was ready to settle in for another two, three hours. Obviously, that did not happen. No, I mean, the first two sets, if anything, exceeded expectations from the fans, from everyone. It was electrifying tennis. And Djokovic played a superb first set, which he got one service break early on for 3-1 and then made it count. And he had to survive a couple of difficult service games at the end, but he did it and he played he tactically smart. He was so sound. He was out hitting uh, Carlos forehand to forehand. It was very impressive. And then in the middle of the second set, Djokovic started to have a little arm issue. We had the trainer come out at the 4-3 changeover. They're still on serve. They change ends and he loses his serve. And you think the set is over. And then it was very dramatic from there with Djokovic breaking back and then holding from love 40 saved those three set points, won five points in a row, and almost broke Carlos in the next game, had a break point and missed a relatively easy backhand. And then Carlos managed to get out of that, 
and break Novak at Love, and it's a, suddenly a set-all, and we think we're starting a, what amounts to a brand-new best-of-three-set match, and everybody was was so uh, it, it was so suspenseful, and you didn't at that point you didn't know it was going to happen. You knew Novak wasn't going to go away. He wasn't going to be thoroughly discouraged by losing the second set, a little disappointed, but you knew he would just dig back in. But there was no serious indication yet from Carlos that anything was wrong with him. And suddenly, in the second game of that third set, Novak serving at Love one, and it was a game point. He hit a, he hit a, a second serve. And Carlos went for the forehand return and he lunged at it. He looked really uncomfortable. And the next thing you know, he's writhing with cramps. And initially, we thought it was just his legs. He had, but it actually started in his hand and went all over his body. The camera it was interesting when it, when he first started to show some signs of distress, and I'm, I'm seeing this for the, the visual, the people who may watch this on YouTube, he kept stretching out his hand yeah, he before did. he did he that did. return. And then, as you said, he went for that return, missed it, and then his body started to cramp up. I, I have a few thoughts I wanted to... Well, but to, uh, one thing, that, just quickly, so the listeners, just in case they didn't see it, then, of course, what was fascinating was he then had to have the trainer. They can't really treat the cramps, but he was able to sit down and get his legs rubbed. But that also meant a delay, and you don't get an injury timeout or medical timeout for that. It's not considered that as cramps. So therefore, he had to forfeit his serve in the next right. game. And then from there, it just spiraled. And Djokovic went, ended up winning, as it turned out, I guess, 11 games in a row to go up five, love in the fourth. And he eventually closed it out 6-1 in the fourth. So the last two sets were just a formality, one and one. You saw Djokovic trying to just be professional and bear down, and but clearly a bit distracted by Carlos's condition, but just typically professional performance from Novak. And Carlos, commendable, David, that he stayed out there. And then he got a, felt a little better, you could see, in the fourth set. It didn't make much of a difference, but you could see there was a bit more mobility, but it, it, was, it was very depressing for him knowing that his body was not going to come around in time for him to make this match competitive again. So I want to I want to kind of set this up because people are talking was it physical was it emotional was it a little bit of both now remember Carlos is is a fit athlete I don't think anyone could say he's not fit the other thing Steve they both had two days of rest before this match so in my opinion the physical part of Carlos's body was well he was he was fine from that standpoint again in my opinion to play three, four, five sets, whatever it took against Novak. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, he was so tight, the tense, the moment was really big. He hadn't had a lot of experience like that. And I remember I talked I talked to you about it. What was also interesting was during those first two sets, there were a few times that Carlos was actually smiling and looking at his box. No. And that to me from an observer says, okay, he's enjoying the moment of being out there. Um, which even more was a surprise to me to say, wow, maybe it was just all oh, the, the, the moment was being too big. I don't know the root cause of this. I think his team is still maybe looking into what the root cause of what happened. Um, but to me to say like he couldn't function properly because the moment was too big. I don't know. Uh, the first two sets was, was fantastic tennis. And again, he looked to be enjoying himself in the moment out there. Well, a couple of things, David. Number one, yes, he is supremely fit. How else to explain at the U.S. Open last year that he had three consecutive matches against Chilich, against Sinner, and against Tiafo, down a break in the fifth, wins them all, 
all of them extremely strenuous contests. And then a hard fought four set win in the, in the final over Rude. He's fit. So I actually take him at his word that it was the daunting task of playing Djokovic in best of five at the biggest clay court tournament in the world. It's it, such, such, such a consequential match. And, I, and, and he basically was saying that got to him. Trying to beat Novak on this occasion brought out very deep tension in, in him. So I actually think it's pretty straightforward that way. Now, he did cramp earlier in the year against Sinner in Miami, and it's happened to him on a few other cases too, but Sinner cramps were similar, maybe not quite as severe. He stayed out there and completed that match and lost that semifinal as well. Uh, but uh, they've got to, they do need to figure out how to calm him down a bit because the smile, maybe it's a bit misleading at, at the moment. He's, enjoy, he's in the moment. So when he hits great shots, crowd-pleasing shots, as he did early in the second set with a phenomenal play where Novak hit a lob volley over him that should have point should have been over. Somehow, not only did he chase it down, he wheeled around, didn't even hit a tweener, managed to hit almost a squash shot. Maybe the best shot I've ever seen for a winner. <laughs> yeah, just amazing. So part of that is he, he relishes those moments, and he's talked a lot about how much he wants to play crowd-pleasing tennis, how much he wants to uh, make it fun for them. That's part of the adventure. It's part of the uh, – it, it, it seems to mean more to him than it does to a lot of other players. So I honestly take him at his word that – And and it shows you the respect that he has for Djokovic. I'm not sure it could have happened. Yes, it happened against Sinner in Miami, and there were other things going on there too. But I'm not so sure it could have happened to this degree against anybody else. But it was the combination of beating Djokovic and getting back, getting into the final and trying to win his first French Open and kind of validate his status as what he uh, he believed as the best player in the world. Now, of course, that that robe is being worn by Djokovic once more. He's regained the number one ranking. But I, all I'll say, David, is watching it, looking back on it, I don't, I don't know how, how was he going to survive if he was in this state. It was going to hit sooner or later. So it was going to be Djokovic's day one way or another. It's just that the cramps hit early. I wish we could have had him last a little longer at his top level pre-cramps because the tennis was such a delight up until then. It was. And and I know a lot of people have said now, um, Carlos has had a lot of little nicks or injuries and we have to be, you know, is this going to be a common thing? Let's take it. Let's take a step back, Steve. Novak had a lot of issues early in his career as well. And he seemed to learn and work from that. His team figured a lot of stuff out because it wasn't all peaches and cream for Novak. The first part of his career, he had a no, lot of matches that he got, he had to withdraw from or struggle through and, and lose. So let's hope this is not going to be a common occurrence throughout Carlos's career because, oh my God, is he a wonderful player to watch? Yeah, no, when it comes to the cramp, cramping part of the equation, and in Novak's case, it was that he would just somehow run out of gas. He eventually. He eventually, one of the one of the more pivotal moves he made was going on his gluten-free diet. That seemed to change a lot of things. But you're right. In the younger days, he just, things would hit him and he'd be a little overcome in, in a similar way to what happened with Carlos. Not necessarily cramps, but where he couldn't handle the, the, the stress of the moment. And that totally changed. So, yes, I, I don't believe it's a permanent condition, but I do believe he's got to examine it. And the people around him have got to examine it. And they can't. You know, Juan Carlos Ferrero and the others cannot control Carlos's emotions, but they can give him good advice and he needs to figure it out, too, because I'm sure that was a very depressing 
thing for him to be right in the midst of what looks like a classic four or five set match and, and be completely crippled uh, over those last two sets. And experience can be a, an amazing teacher. And Carlos is going to be in these situations time and time and time again. But another thing, David, sorry to interrupt. I don't want to forget to say this. Djokovic made a comment afterwards that I think was apt as well, where it was like Carlos was suddenly maybe for the first time considered the favorite. He was bearing that burden as well. It was a little unusual. You know, up until now, he's been sort of closing in on a read. Yes, he had got finished the year number one, but under unusual circumstances with Djokovic not playing the U.S. Open and then Carlos unable to play the year-end championships and we hadn't seen these two meet. And now he felt maybe in his mind, I have to really prove this. The only way I can prove I'm the best is to beat the best, which is what they both said prior to the match. And sure enough, that really seemed to get to him. And, and I think part of it, as I said earlier, was, was his immense respect for Djokovic and Djokovic's seasoning and professionalism and intensity. Yeah, well, well, like I said, experience can be an amazing teacher and hope he and his team can learn from it. Um, it, it, it they will. It was they will. A, go ahead. They will. I mean, he's 20 years old. He's, he's a phenomenal athlete and he's he will get more and more professional himself. And he and, and I think, too, that as time goes on, he'll be more and more interested in being a, a great champion. And yes, I won't mean he'll stop smiling but his priorities may change a bit. And, and I, I think it'll, it'll, it'll help him. He will yes. solve the, he will solve the problem over time. Oh, hundred, hundred percent agree. Um, so then we go into the second semifinal. You got Casper <laughs> Ruud versus Sasha Zverev, another really close match. You know, you, you may say one player's favorite over a little over the other by a little, but nothing crazy. And Casper Ruud just destroys Sasha Zverev six, three, Six four six zero. Oh. First off, let's give Casper Ruud some credit here because he did not have a great clay court prep coming into this tournament. Here he is, beats Zverev. He beats him like a drum. Second year in a row now, Casper is in the French Open final. So he defended his points, which was huge from a ranking perspective, right? Getting to the final, plays Novak. But what? What happened with Sasha Zverev? Because he was playing a good tournament up to that 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 day. I can understand him losing. Casper Ruud's a very good player, but not in that fashion. No, you know, there was a release from one of the grass court tournaments, I believe with Stuttgart, but one of those grass court tournaments sent out a release yesterday, day before, saying he pulled out because he had injured himself in practice last Thursday, the day before the Ruud ah. match. That explained everything to me about the subpar performance because he said afterwards, he was very good. He's pretty sporting after most of these matches. And he, he gave Rude his due, but he's in about how well he had played, but said, I, you know, that I was way, way below my best. So he didn't mention the injury, but when I read that report, then it explained everything because I don't think we would have could have had such a one-sided three, four in love match. It wouldn't have happened. Shocked. Yeah. I was, again, it would not be surprised if Casper beat him. That's fine. Those are two really good yeah. players, more evenly matched than what the score obviously showed. But for for that scoreline to show up, something was was not right. So also, you, also he's a good competitor, David. And and so for him to go out six love in that last set was not characteristic of Zarev either. All right, so let's go. So Friday was kind of a dud, right? It had the potential of one of maybe. Well, the best, I wouldn't. You know, 
you know what, David, in fairness, I wouldn't call it a dud because those first two sets were, I mean, yes, it was a terrible letdown and deflating for all of us to see the way the match unfolded in the third and fourth and not fun for Djokovic either to win in that fashion. But the first two sets were so spellbinding and such a joy to watch that I will I won't call it a complete dud. I just call it a terrible letdown because of the third and fourth. Uh, right, of course. I mean, I think from a fan's perspective, they were looking yeah. for a, a full day oh, of yeah. some great, great tennis and both oh, matchups. And unfortunately, it, it didn't go that way. Um, that's why I used that reference. So let's go to the final now. Um, again, I'll credit Casper Rude getting to the final second year in a row. He defended his points. I thought he was the better player out of the gate yesterday. He was hitting the ball cleaner. Djokovic was was making unforced errors, which we're going to get to. Uh, some crazy stat that Novak is just insane. We're going to get to that in a second. Um, I think the experience that Casper had last year's final against Rafa helped him, at least in the early, early outset of coming on yesterday. We're recording this Monday night, so the final was yesterday. Um, he came out of the gate firing. He needed that first set. And then once it got to 6-6, six, six, I mean, I, and I told this to you, Steve, to me, once it gets to 6-6, six, six, and we'll go into it in further detail when we get to it, um, the match was over at that point. How do you look at the first set up until it got to 6-6? Six, six? You know, it's funny because right off in the first game, uh, an easy love hold for Rude was a little surprising because Djokovic tends to start so strong and he loves to grab those early leads in these big matches. and. Before you know it, he's up three love. And first game was went by really fast. And then there was a long second game. And Djokovic had, I believe, three game points. And the five deuces, long game. He gets broken. And and Casper held for three love, went up, went up 4-1. And you thought he might get the set. But then at 4-2 is when it changed. That's when the first sign of Casper, who had been so uh, unerring up until then. He just wasn't, even if his backhand, the weaker wing, was holding up very well. And... He was mixing up his forehand. He was throwing in the loopers. A lot of high balls to Novak's forehand, which were very effective. And Novak was missing the high forehands a little bit uncharacteristic for him. But the strategy was pretty effective. But then at 4-2, he got tight and he missed an overhead on the break point. And Novak, of course, had missed a few himself. And, mm -hmm. and now Casper missed when they're back on serve. And it was a battle. And Djokovic was a couple of points from losing it at, at, at 4-5, love 30. And he got out of that. And then the breaker. So need we say more? Because I received a, a, a text from somebody you and I both know well with the initials DB. I think you, you know him better than anybody. And that's you. <laughs> and, and obviously, the, the tie break was the match. I mean, and, and I said, I, I texted someone else before the first point of the breaker. I go, watch how Novak will play each of these points in the, in the breaker. And, yeah. and people have seen the stats on, on social media and everything, but I, I have to repeat it because it's just amazing. He's played six. He played six tiebreakers throughout the course of the tournament. And for me to say, I have not done the research. For, I don't know. There may be someone with a better overall tiebreak record than Novak. I don't know if there is. But to me, you cannot make an argument that someone is better than him in the clutch in tiebreakers. And the stats are unbelievable. In this tournament alone, he played six tiebreakers. It was it totaled 55 points, right? He had zero unforced errors. Zero. He did yeah. not have one unforced error in but six tiebreakers. You, you touched on it. Think about how many points. 55 points is almost a set's worth of points. 
not quite necessarily, you could, but it could be close to a set's worth of points. And he doesn't make one mistake. And it isn't just that. It's the way he started this breaker was indicative of some of the others, too, in that the very first point on the stretch rips a forehand winner down he's the line. The, so that, that, to me, Steve, when he laced that forehand, that, to me, was a little bit more risky than how he normally plays the breakers. And he nailed it, no problem at all. And then it was, I mean, he won the breakers 7-1. It wasn't even Yeah, close. no, Yes, right on the next point up of the net was a little cat and mouse, and he he was ready for the backhand volley into the open court. And I think he felt like he had him. And then he closed it beautifully too, yeah. from six one, he uh, from five one with the ace, and then the forehand winner. So yeah, it, I mean the one point Carlos, uh, the one point one point that Rude won was with a winner. Yeah, so. I, so- and, and now the breakers. So here's what happens. And you see it when they played Roger and you see it when, when the players played Rafa, right? You play at such a high level, right? And you come out of there and you play a great set and you don't even win the set. I would have bet the more, the remaining mortgage on my house, Steve, that Novak would have gone up an early break in the second set. Which he I did. didn't. I should have, because yeah. sure enough, Novak goes up an early break in the second you're going to have a little dip, right? That It's just mere mortals, right? Mere yeah. mortals play at such a high level. They come out, they they don't even win at their top level, don't even win that first set, and they have a little dip. And what do the great ones do? As soon as you dip just a little bit, they pounce. The great ones always do. And sure enough, it was 3 nothing, you know, in a blink of an eye in that second Yeah, it set. was. And the problem was that he wasn't going to get that break back. Because in those last 11 service games over the third, across the third and four sets combined, nine points, 44 out of 53 points, Djokovic won on serve. So he was putting so much pressure and Rude did a terrific job of sort of hanging in there after that early break in the second and didn't lose his serve again until five all in the third. I, I, I commend him for that. But it was Novak's service games were going by so swiftly that, uh, you know, that, that weighs on your mind. And finally, I have to say the way that Djokovic closed out the match, I mean, was really spectacular because he's serving at four or five, couple of aces, love hold, breaks at love, couple of winners in that game, and then goes to 40 love in the last game and tried to, he just, he, you know, a rude lob to return. Novak tried to hit the overhead from very deep position and then had, set himself up for a fairly easy forehand, which he pulled wide, but then immediately he clinches it on the next, second match point at 40-15. So he won 12 of the last 13 points, three games in a row to close it out. It was almost as if he said, okay, I've I've had enough. You played very well. Congratulations, but this match is over. Well, here we are. And just two years ago, he was in a similar position, right? We're halfway through to the calendar slam now. And two years ago, again, he beat, he, he won Wimbledon as well. And he was one match away, losing that final to Neil Medvedev in the U.S. Open. And I'm going to interrupt you for just a second, if I may, to commend you. Because we were talking with Tracy Austin on one of our podcasts. Tracy agreed with me. We both thought there was no way that you're going to get this opportunity again. It just doesn't come around twice, even for the greatest of players. Granted, Rod Laver did win two slams, so maybe he's an exception with doing it in 62 and 69, but to have the opportunity that Novak had to be one match away, and I honestly didn't think, and I say this as one of his most, I'm probably one of his biggest boosters among the media. I have great admiration for him. 
But I didn't think that he could get himself back in this position, yet here he is, and he'll be the heavy favorite for Wimbledon. And, and, he, and he even talked about it a little bit on Tennis Channel yesterday in the post-match that he's, he'd love to get, quote, a second chance in New York because he still remembers the emotional reaction of the crowd when he was losing to Medvedev in that straight set final and they, they started cheering him at the changeover at the end and he broke into tears and he still remembers that vividly. And uh, I don't know. At this point, David, I wrote it last night. I, it, it isn't even a matter that I wouldn't put it past him. I'd actually predict right now that he will win the Grand Slam. And I'm surprising myself by saying that, but I feel like very few guys can beat him at Wimbledon. And he's going to have the confidence coming off of this uplifting triumph, only his, only his third at Roland Garros. And now he's the only man who's ever won all four majors at least three times. And it just fuels him. And he said he's not going to play anything prior to Wimbledon. He's going to practice, get to London and practice, which I think is very smart because that formula works for him. He'll be fresh enough physically. He should be very fresh physically. And then, again, play his way. He probably won't be at his best in the first couple of rounds, but he should be good enough to get through them. And then by the second week, I expect him to be peaking again. And so I, I honestly think that if he were to do that, David, my feeling is, he went through quite an ordeal there two years ago because from the opening round on, you could feel the tension go and he played the Olympics that summer. Which I was just, I was just going to refer to that this time. Yeah. He doesn't have that he part have of his equation going in. And I think that retrospectively, I think that was a mistake. He had said at Wimbledon when he won Wimbledon for the third leg that he wasn't sure he was going to play the Olympics. Then he was talked into it. It didn't I think go. Both fast. of us predicted that he wouldn't play the Olympics. I think he yeah, surprised us both. It's, it, it was very surprising, but it was his patriotism. He just got convinced that it was the right thing to do, and he had fun and enjoyed it, but then it was a weird match where he was up a set and two love against Zarev, and it all got away from him. He lost like eight, ten games in a row. It just completely evaporated for him, and that was very deflating. And I think he tried to put it past him, but he was never really quite there right emotionally. He wasn't on the right emotional scale, and you could feel it before each match, and the he was constantly losing first sets in all his matches. Eventually, a five-set semi with Zarev, and he loses in straight to Medvedev in the final. So, well, I Steve, feel- I'll say this. I, I'll say this, Steve. We we talked about experience being an amazing teacher for someone like Carlos and his team. If Novak goes to New York, having won the first three, he can use the experience from a couple of years ago and That's possibly learn point. from that. That's precisely my point. And I don't think anybody could use it better than him. And I frankly think he'd go a little easier on himself, try to enjoy it a bit more and just realize it's not the end of the world. If it doesn't work out, I mean, he's almost certain now to finish on the top uh, for the most men's majors. It'd be hard for rapid to come back and win another. And, and Novak looks like he's far from through. So you got to believe that he he can, re- he can he doesn't have to be complacent about that, but he knows he's in very good shape for that record. And the Grand Slam would be a big bonus, and he'd take it if he could get it. But I, I think I think he will definitely learn from the last time. He knows how he felt. He knows he knows what happened. And then it still gets back to the fact that he could just schedule his the two tournaments, you know, Canada, Cincinnati, or if or if he wants to only play one, play one. But I think he'd play both and try to get himself tuned up. And he'd come into New York in a I think in a very different frame of mind. 
Yeah, it's still though, right? That's 28. You start the year, you got to win 28 matches, right? He's at 14 now. Let's say he wins Wimbledon 21. And then every match just builds and builds and builds. Every shot got, you know, got to him and get to anybody, right? Oh, it um, would. Two but years ago, but I think he would be better prepared this oh, much time better. if he gets the chance. Much better prepared. And I think that he, you know, he'd think back on what he did then and what he wanted to try to change in the bubble. I just think he would be, he would try to ease some of the tension and and try to not not do, sort of put himself through that kind of an ordeal. He tried to just enjoy more, and also he'd feed on the memory of two years ago and the fans. And frankly, I think they'd be with him again. But I think this time, most likely, the fan support would come from very early on in the tournament, which it was not the case last time. During the tournament, there were mixed receptions for him, depending on who he was playing on any given night. But this time I have a feeling they'd be with him from the start and want to see him become the first since labor in 69 among the men to win the Grand Slam. I think you may be right. And and I I'll, I do want to talk about Ega and, give, and, and talk about some of the women's matches because some of those, that was extraordinary as well. And we'll get there shortly. But to take a step back, you know, to look, you got 23, 22 and 20 from the big three. And for the a bulk of that, I'm not going to say the entire period, but for the bulk of that, you had those three guys playing at peak levels. All right. Again, not the entire period, but for those three guys to get all those slams and having to deal with each other. Right. is pretty extraordinary. Now, you could say and I remember Chris, you would say this about Martina, like those three pushed each other to get higher and higher and higher, right? Maybe if they didn't have each other, maybe they get bored and maybe one would stop at 17 or 18, whatever. The younger guys still have to deal with Novak. But now once let's say Novak goes away for you, I want to ask you, what's a number, what's a big, great, amazing number that you'll see someone get Pete had 14 and that was miraculous to me. I think Eight is unbelievable. I think nine is amazing. Like there's going to be, we always talk about, and I, I know I stressed it. The big three was so much better than four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That shouldn't happen, but it just was right now. And again, put Novak aside, you got a bunch of guys that are bunched up together. And I think they're going to share slams. I think if someone gets nine or 10, that's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I hear you, and I get your point, but I have to say that watching Carlos start his rise, Alcaraz, a year ago, when we were talking about him in the spring, and I was predicting he would get to number one, and I, I still have a very positive feeling about where he is going to, what he's going to do long term. There'll be some growing pains. The semifinal in Roland Garros was one of them, but I think he'll solve that issue and I think he will stand out from that pack. And I, I can see him, believe it or not, in the 15, 16, 17 range. I'm not going above that, but I can see him in that range. I think he's, he has that kind of greatness. And the reason I say it, too, is he's so young. I mean, he won his first at 19. I remember Pete Sampras telling me when I wrote the book on Pete that he, we were talking in 2019. He didn't think we'd see another teenager win a major among the men he just didn't see it happening and i agree with him and then carlos gets on the board last year at 19 think how many potentially big years he has left as long as his body holds up you mentioned the injuries earlier i'm actually a bit more concerned 
about injuries because that it's harder to control that than the cramps. I think the cramp thing can be solved, hopefully. But the injuries they need Novak, they need Novak out of there because as you said earlier, here there's no signs of him slowing down as long as no, he's healthy. No, but I'm saying that, you know, yes, it's true. But let's just say that Novak hung around two, three more years. Carlos is still gonna be is he gonna be 23, 23 yeah. you know. So I just feel like he, I, I, I hope Sinner and 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 Holgeruna and some of the others can, they'll do well, and I expect them to. I think Holgeruna has has immense possibilities too if he can get his temper. You know, it, it's a matter of emotional development, mental development, because I love the way he plays. And he again, he, you know, he he put he turned in a very strange physical performance against Rude in the quarters for two sets. He didn't look like he was there, and he managed to get the third set and lose in four, but. That was recovering from a long five setter, and I, he physically he still needs to make strides. But I think long term, I have a lot of belief in what he might do, and Sinner as well. And there'll be a few others as, but I just think Carlos will be the standout of this generation. And I still think ultimately he'll start when he gets. By the time he's getting in his mid twenties, that's where I think we might see him start picking up a couple a year. You know, he might have a spree there, two, 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 and. What, however it might be, I could see that happening where he wins the French and U.S. Opens and the next year he wins the Australian and Wimbledon. I could see that kind of thing happening to him. So I'm pretty optimistic. But to go beyond that would be astounding. That's, you know, to get into the 20s, like the three of the like Roger and Rafa. And, I mean, between the three of them, they've got 65 majors. That's insane. And most of them were playing together. They weren't doing it in isolation by themselves. Oh. They had to deal with each other, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, it'll so be you're, interesting. You're, if, if Carla, like if you look back in the modern era, I mean, you saw, yeah, Pete at 14, which was crazy, right? That was the record at that time. But then you had guys, the greatest of a great, that would make your list of greatest of all time are at seven and eight. And those are those that's incredible. That number's incredible. And these three guys have just completely blown that out of the uh, out of the water, not even mentioning Pete at 14. <laughs> now, it, it, part of it will depend that one of the things that Pete had to contend with was a, a diversity of players dealing with it on a given day with a Rafter or an Edberg and Agassi or a Chang, a lot of different playing styles, even Isovich. It, it, there, and Chang talked to me about that. He felt like there was there were more there was more kind of diversity in the game than in playing styles that that made maybe that made it harder for Pete to pile on even more titles. But that's the thing we can't know for sure about the next ten years is uh, you know and who emerges and has the right mindset that you know I mean we saw people like Thomas Burdich and the it, we, we've seen players emerge in the in the Federer Nadal. Djokovic era who we thought might make the moves and and they 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 didn't quite have it in them for whatever the reasons and maybe that changes in this generation in which case your prediction would be right but I still think Carlos is gonna he's the kind of guy who's so deeply ambitious that I I can't see him not not playing into his 30s as long as his body allows him to in which case he's gonna have a lot of opportunities to try to win win these titles and I see him I definitely see him in those double digits. And as I say, I think the ceiling can be 15 to 17. Yeah. I think everyone agrees of, of that generation. He's the one who could separate himself. And then the others are just going to be bunched up and, yeah. and, the, and those others can get three or four slams. There's nothing to be ashamed of winning no, three no. or four or five slams in your career. It's incredible. 
No, no, and 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 we'll see that happen. And there'll be then there'll, there'll be some nice rivalries. I mean, I can see some some very uh, intriguing, compelling matches in that trio of Car- of Carlos Sinner and Holger Runa. I could see some really yeah, nice and and there's City Pass, there's Verb, there's yeah, Medvedev. Yeah. Medvedev's already has one, but I mean yeah. no, there's Medvedev- a bunch of guys just at the top, just all bunched yeah. up now. Oh no, they're gonna be hanging around too. Medvedev's gonna be fascinating because we've seen him play unbelievable tennis this year, and he won 39 out of 44 matches coming into Roland Garros, five titles, uh, wins Rome, suffers that first round loss in Roland Garros, having lost in the third round of Australia. So Wimbledon, I could see him being in the finals or going out early. He's, he's enigmatic. He just yeah. is. And, and Sitsipas, tough for him again because Carlos took him apart there. And I think that, and he later talked about taking some sleeping pills. And I thought that was very strange, but whatever the case, I feel a little sorry for him. He's been in a couple of major finals, lost them both to Novak, once in Roland Garros, once in Australia this year. Uh, You know, he's been on the cusp of it, but he's going to be so hard-pressed. He's yet to beat Carlos. I think Sinner's going to be more and more trouble for him. He's he's had problems. He's going to have problems with with Runa. And and we'll see how his rivalry continues with, with Medvedev and Zarev. Those and look who Casper's had to play in the finals. He's had to play Rafa and Novak in the French and Carlos at the U.S. Open. So, I mean, yeah, incredible and, what Casper's and, done. And then in addition to that, he lost last year in Miami final, the Masters 1000 to rap to Carlos. And then he lost to Novak in the ATP year-end championships in Italy. So, you know, he's he's had, he's been in a lot of big matches these last two years. But unfortunately for him, they're all just a little better than he is. I mean, he really acquitted himself well in that final yesterday. I don't think he could have played much. It's not like, I mean, I agreed with you and still agree with you that the tiebreaker was just devastating. However, yes, he got down a break, although I think Novak earned that break early in the second, but he didn't fold. He stayed in that set. He held serve from 1540 at 2-5, made Novak serve it out. And then in the third, he stayed on serve up 5-4, and then Novak made his move. So not too much to criticize there for the guy that lost his serve three times in the match. Yeah, I agree. I thought he played well yesterday. Um, all right. I think we talked enough about uh, the men's field. I do want to talk about the, the women. You had talked about how the impressive numbers from Ega. We always talk about the trifecta, which is what it's been consistent, right? Rabakina, unfortunately, we mentioned it on the, on the last week's pod. It was like an hour or two before we recorded. She had to withdraw because of illness, which was unfortunate. Um, you have Sabalenka, and boy, that semifinal, that's going to be a tough one to sleep off. If she's up 5-2 uh, and have a match point in the third set, and what she loses, 20-24, I think you said 22 of 27. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To Machova. Machova won that incredible comeback, 7-5 in the third. Um Sviatek wins a wins a final six two five seven six four. She's up six two three zero. It got more, got a little bit more complicated than she had she had wanted. I'm sure. Listen, David, you spend a lot of time coaching. I, I want to bounce something off you. I feel like three love in a set when it's one break reminds me a bit of thirty love in a game. It's it seems you seem in a comfortable position. You think you're kind of in command, but it can get away. And and it, that's what happened to Ega. I thought you know if she could. 
she mentioned later that if she could have just held serve a few more times in the second set, she knew that she, but I, I just think it's, that can disappear so fast with one break back and, and Mukova, Muhova played so well the re, the re, to, to pull out that set, even though Iga fought her tooth and nail up to five all, and it was a seven, five set from Muhova. And then next thing you know, Iga's down two love in the third. She wins three games in a row. You think she's maybe back on back in sync. And then Mohova breaks back and is serving at 4-3. And from there, Iga was able to run the match out. But a very entertaining match. Uh, Mohova played as well in that final as she did in the semi against yes. Sabalenka and, and almost made a similarly miraculous comeback, too. Yeah, I thought I thought Muchova played great, played, had a great tournament. Again, the semi and the final, that was great. She played great in those yeah. matches. No, she did. And and it, and it was great for the fans that they got. And that's the first time Iga's been winning all her finals in straight sets in the majors until now. This is her fourth. It's the first time she's been put in that position. And I'm glad that she was able to sort of answer the questions in the end. I think it could have been a pretty devastating loss. But she really she really rose to the occasion at the end to pull it out and uh, came to the net a couple of times. She's so hesitant, David, to you see these openings for her to come in and she won't do it. But in, in the third set there and a couple of vital points, she did and made one beautiful back end volley down the line. And I, I felt like, OK, I hope that will remind her that she creates these openings that she shouldn't be afraid to come in. What the great thing about Mojova is that she she doesn't hesitate at all to get in. And she's a very good volleyer. She's got a good serve. She really raised the level of her game considerably to make that match so tight. And when, when we talk about the, the trifecta of uh, Rabakina, Sabalenka, and um, Sviatek, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking this is not to discredit what any of the three ladies that I just mentioned is how would Ash Barty fit into this equation? And I'm not saying Ash in that equation dominates all these tournaments. I'm not saying that at all. But Ash would have her share of victories against oh, yeah. these three, and they would have some share of their victories against her too. It's just a, a, a it's you know, unfortunate for us as tennis fans that oh, Ash is is not part of this equation right now. I was going to say, I wish you, I wish you hadn't have brought that up because it really does make <laughs> it, it saddens me to think. Because I agree with you, she'd be right there in the mix. She'd still be winning her majors. She'd be having very, very compelling matches with Iga. With Rabakina, we'd love to see her combat Rabakina and see if maybe all of her chips and slices and variety could pay off in a way that it doesn't for some of the others. I mean, obviously, Iga's had big problems with Rabakina. So, yeah, I miss Ash Barty a lot. Well, the next slam, Steve, is Wimbledon. And the defending champions are there. Uh, surprise on the men's side, Novak Djokovic. And on the women's side is Elena Rabakina, who we've just been talking about. Um, remember both they didn't get points last year it was kind of different it was it was a little bit different last year that's they'll everyone's can play now they can get their points this year um i don't know i i when you look at it and i know there's some warm-up warm-up events that are still to be played but if novak's playing well he's the clear-cut favorite i don't care who i don't care about anyone else in the rest of the field if novak's playing well he's the favorite to win wimbledon well, he's won seven times. He's won the last four. Obviously, they didn't play the tournament a couple of years back in 2020 because of COVID. But, you know, he won it in 18, 19, 21 and 22. And yeah, and now he's coming in with that big head of steam, you know, coming off this great triumph in Roland Garros, which is only going to make him more confident, I believe. And, and I think 
I don't think the slam thoughts are going to creep in too much during Wimbledon, to tell you the truth. And they didn't, they didn't the last time either. I think he'll keep his mind just on trying to hold on to his title. And, and he's been so dominant there. Plus, if he can win it, he ties Rogers' record, uh, men's record, with the eight titles. So he'll, that's something I think he'd like to do as well. And I know he's tied with Serena with 23 slams, right? So yeah. he's been on record saying he wants to break all the records. So I, I think that's... Uh, well, I think that, that I think he'll want to break Serena and I think he'll want to break Margaret Court at the 24 as well and just stand yeah. alone for men and women. I think that would mean a lot to him and that will keep him, that will keep him, dr- him driven, deeply driven. A hundred percent. And it's so nice. You know, you see him with his kids now. A lot of times these professional athletes... Um, by the time they may choose to start having a family, they may be on the latter end of their careers. Um, it's nice to have their kids with them, seeing them do all these accomplishments. Obviously, it's different on the female side because they have to uh, do more of the of the process and having a child, obviously, than, than the men do. Um, but you know what's also great, David, is that those kids are going to have these memories. Whatever happens to Novak from this point forward, and I, I think we've got a couple more great years left in him, depending. I mean, who's to say how he's going to feel if he wins the Grand Slam? But I'm just saying that if, if the motivation is there and remains, we could see a couple more terrific years ahead for him, in which case the kids get a little bit older. But they will always have these memories and they will always treasure them. And they'll be, they'll be able to look back on YouTube or, or on DVDs or however they are able to see it and watch these tapes of their father playing of, and themselves watching, observing it. And, and Roger uh, said the same thing. He liked traveling with his family during the latter yeah, parts of his career. Yeah, too. it was great for him. It was great for him. And, and uh, so I, I, I think it was so clear how much those kids mean to, to Novak when it was over. And, and uh, you see, and you see, I mean, again, on the, on the female side, you see it with Serena's, uh, Serena's daughter. And you see Vika Azarenko has her yeah. son Leo out everywhere. Yeah. He's so damn cute. Um, you know, it, it's great when, when both male and female players are, are still in their playing careers and, and can travel with their kids. It's, uh, memories of a lifetime, like you said, for the parents and then for the memories of the kids as well. It's special to see. And he could never have known. He didn't know. He was hopeful. I know Agassi had predicted way back when that Novak was going to play great into his mid thirties, at least. He always thought that with the, with his body and this game that it was going to happen. And he was right. But Novak couldn't bank on that. So he must be, I think, very gratified that he's able to share this with his kids now and for them to see him realizing some of these goals. And that moment in Paris, provided that he keeps the lead for good, which I think he will, because I just think it's going to be awfully hard for Rafa to come back and win another French or a major anywhere. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. But uh, that, that one will be one of the most special for Djokovic. Well, we don't have to wait as long as we did from the space between Australia and Roland Garros that we do from Roland Garros to Wimbledon. So Wimbledon's going to creep up fast. Steve, we made it through, like I said at the beginning, emotionally, as you specify, versus (laughs) physically as the players. But the clay court season is long. It's a grind. The players got through it. Um, And now we're on to preparation for the third slam of the year. Thank you for your time, Steve. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.